You're listening to God and Comics, the show that grows on you and eventually requires medication to get rid of. Ask your doctor <laughs> if God and Comics is right for you. On today's show, we talk about one of the true giants of graphic novels, Persepolis. We discuss the memoir's insights about growing up in Iran in the wake of the Islamic Revolution, with its depiction of God, philosophy, punk rock, persecution, sex, politics, gallows humor, and everything in between. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin. I am the chaplain at St. John the 23rd College Preparatory in Katy, Texas. On the line with me today is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah Episcopal Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm from St. George's Episcopal Church in Schenectady, New York. Okay, good to see you, gentlemen. And we're going to dive, uh, we got a lot going on in this program, so we're going to dive right into the recommendation, which I think is Father Matt. That's correct. Okay, take it away. Well, what I would like to recommend to you all, uh, this episode is uh, a new book published by DC Comics under the Jinx World imprint. The Jinx World imprint is, is kind of, um, well, so far it's all Brian Michael Bendis. It's his uh, creator-owned properties. Um, and, but th and he's brought some previously existing titles into that, um, like Scarlet, uh, which is picking back up and being published by DC now. But this is a, a brand new book uh, from the same collaborator that he worked on to create Jessica Jones. Um, and that is the artist Michael Gatos. Um, and so this is their new product um, over at DC. Um, and they, they wanted to do something totally different than Jessica Jones. And it is quite different. I, I suppose the one thing that it has in common is that it has a strong female protagonist. The, this book, uh, the, the, the star is a young Japanese woman named Pearl who lives in a modern-day San Francisco, and she is a tattoo artist. This is, this is like a crime story. It's, it's very kind of neo-noir, um, kind of has a kind of Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino feel to it. it, it you know, it's so, so if you know um, Brian Michael Bendis from his work on like Ultimate Spider-Man and the X-Men and, and the Avengers and things like that, this is something quite different. So it has that strong female protagonist like Jessica Jones, and it's, it's kind of neo-noir in the same way that Jessica Jones was. So Pearl is, as I said, she's a Japanese uh, tattoo artist, and the, the, the book sort of opens up with her uh, in, in a conversation. She has this beautiful spider tattoo on her wrist, and... Um, she's talking with uh, a boy that she's met who, who, who noticed the craftsmanship and the beauty of this tattoo. Um, and they really hit it off. Um, the other thing that we noticed about Pearl right away is that she's an albino. Uh, she's, she's got this kind of flawless white skin and, and, and white hair. Um, 
but it, it it seems like she's a she's a pretty normal young woman um and and, and it's kind of very conversational well until the uh, the criminals show up and, and, and there's a hit out on, on this guy that she's talking to. And we discover that, that Pearl is much more than meets the eye. She, she is, well, she's, she's pretty tough <laughs> and she, she fights off these, these guys. Her family is involved in, uh, the Yakuza Japanese, um, organized crime. And so, the, the, the series kind of revolves around the, the events that unfold after this very public action and, and her relationship with this guy that's sort of like they really hit it off right away. But one gets the impression that they're star-crossed lovers from, from the start. Um, so the, the artwork is extraordinary. It's probably Gato's best art that I, I've ever seen him do. Um, it's all hand painted and it's beautifully done. The colors are all kind of very muted, but uh, the book is just a delight to look at. It's, it's, it's extremely well written and, and Pearl's character herself is extremely compelling. The gimmick with her is, uh, you know, I mentioned that she was a tattoo artist and that uh, she was an albino. We also learned that she has a full body tattoo that she herself tattooed on her skin with an empty tattoo gun. So she has this very beautifully elaborate full body tattoo that only really shows up when she's angry or flushed. So it makes for some, uh, some very striking jewel images in, in the book. I definitely recommend checking out Pearl. It's a, it's a great crime story with a lot of, uh, great dialogue and some very beautiful artwork. Is Gator's artwork kind of like Alex Maleev? I mean, it seems like he does some of the, the kind of photo transfers and stuff that Alex Maleev does. But uh, Gator's is the same artist on Jessica Jones and Alias. So if, if, if you read those books, um, you'll, you'd be familiar with his art. But I, it's much better he does have this like photorealistic style. I always felt like um, Jessica Jones was never quite right outside of his way of drawing her. You okay. know? Because everybody yeah. always always either errs on the side of like making her too like either too pretty, you know, like mm-hmm. they sort of do with like so many of the kind of female characters or like or they just kind of make her look like a replica of you know six other women we've seen whereas like the like the way that Gatos would draw her was so specific you okay. know yeah like she had very specific facial expressions you know that she mm-hmm. would make and it was just such a joy when he came back to it when they started to do that book again mm-hmm. whatever that was two or three years ago yeah because it yeah. was like oh there she is again no, nobody quite knew how to draw Jessica Jones. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, no, I mean, he's very much the, the artist for Jessica Jones. And, and you know, whenever he tried to do the superheroes, uh, it always felt a little disjointed, you know, like like all of a sudden, like, because he has this very, like, kind of gritty, like, photorealistic style that the superheroes just felt a, a little out of place. 
he's this is much more his element, I think, in this kind of more uh, crime story. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 wonderful, and, and Bendis is really um, getting off to a very fine start with DC. Yeah, he's been doing some phenomenal stuff. So we're going to move into our main conversation, uh, which is about Persepolis. And joining us for that is uh, Leah Labresco-Sargent, who has been a, a regular guest on the show. She is a writer, a philosopher, a reader, a math geek, all-around great person. Um, I, you know, there's, I don't know, what else can I say about Leah? Welcome to the show again, Leah. I'm the author of two books. Oh, hey, that would be a good thing to say. You're the author of two books. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this is why I don't have, have books because I don't know how to market them properly, apparently. Um, so the, the most recent being, uh, building the Benedict option, Mm -hmm. right? Which, that uh, one's on building thicker community, and the one preceding it is arriving at Amen, which is about my conversion story. Yes, you should you should buy those books. Welcome to the show. So let's talk a little bit about Persepolis. First of all, let me ask let me ask you all this. So Persepolis is written by how do we say her name? Marjane Satrapi. Satrapi, mm-hmm. and it is basically a a memoir of her uh, experiences growing up in Iran uh, at the uh, end of the 1970s, early 1980s, uh, all the way up basically into the early 90s. Um, But um, going through all of the shifts and changes that happen, uh, the change in power between the Shah and and, uh, the Islamic Revolution, um, time that she then spends in Europe as a teenager, uh, and then coming back to Iran, uh, the Iran-Iraq war, all of that stuff is kind of happening in the background as she's basically sort of telling the story of her own kind of coming of age. Mm. Is that That's a fair summary? or Yeah, I think that's yeah. a fair summary. Leah, what is it that, that you um, love about this book? Well, I think this is actually the first graphic novel I read as far as I remember. So... Uh-oh. You know, in some ways, uh, this book helped set my expectations for graphic novels and for comic books. I read originally, you know, I got this out again from the library in one volume as the complete Persepolis. But when I read this originally, and the the version on my shelf at home is in two volumes, Persepolis 1 and Persepolis 2. Um, And I preferred in that edition because I think the first volume of her life in Iran until her parents sent her abroad at the age of about 14 is more appropriate for younger readers, um, and that as she grows up, there's some material that's a little less appropriate, and splitting it into two volumes you know, makes it possible to read both. Um, but what I think I really loved about it is, you know, it's a memoir set in a part of the world I really didn't have a rich understanding of. I knew of Iran primarily as, you know, a matter for foreign policy, and not as a country full of people. And the complexity of the story she tells is amazing, you know, where her family is very communist-leaning, supporting the initial revolution, not anticipating the level of religious crackdown there's going to be from the Islamic government. Um, and it's it's really a story that has a lot of compassion for everyone in it, including in their moments of weakness or meanness. So how old were you when you were reading it then? Probably middle school is my guess. Oh, okay. 
Um, so you you were kind of like in the range of where she is growing up during at least part of that story as you were reading it. Yeah, that's interesting. So I was I was probably um twenty eight when I read it. <laughs> so right. it was a very different experience, I think, to um to read it in that way. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Father Kyle. What do you what did you think reading it? I thought it was a very interesting story. I thought that certainly the first part of the story was to me a little bit better than the second part of the story for a number of reasons. Um, but I, I liked the fact that it exposed me to the to um, some of the stuff in the Middle East, what life in the Middle East is like, and certainly in the average family home, I would assume. I think it gave an interesting perspective of what um, someone at that time in the late 70s, early 80s was going through. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Father Matt? The story is, is very compelling. Margie is uh, a very likable protagonist, especially as a little girl. She's just uh, she's sort of irresistible, precocious. It's fascinating to read about Iran from very on-the-ground kind of perspective. Because Iran's like this country that, like, I mean, you know, we see it on TV. It's, it's full of fundamentalists. It's, it's, it's like it couldn't be more removed from, from a, a lot of our experience in the United States. But here, here you have this story about someone who could have very easily been a classmate of mine, a neighbor, it's, it's, it's very human, and the characters are, are very vivid and very relatable. It's also just sort of sobering to see from the perspective of an ordinary uh, family and a child a culture enveloped by this kind of you know, extreme fundamentalism um, and this kind of cultural revolution that takes place. Um, and what it felt like to live it. Um, I, I mean, and, and, and this, this, this graphic novel is just, it's, it, it brings it home so vividly. With, and, and, and it's such a heavy subject, but she does it with so much humor and, and, and sort of wit and whimsy and, and, and fun. Where, I mean, you go from one moment, like tears of laughter running down your face to the next minute, tears of real empathy and grief. There's, there's, there's some extremely poignant moments uh, in, in, in this graphic novel. And what I, I mean, what I love about it from the point of view of a comic book fan, this really shows right up front the power of this medium to really tell powerful stories with literary value and literary quality. I, I first experienced it um, seeing the movie. Uh, when, when the movie came out, I, I went to see it in the theater and was blown away by the, the, uh, by the movie, but the graphic novel hit me even harder. I mean, there's just, there's, you only get an hour and a half or something like that with the movie. This, this goes into so much more depth and so much more the, of, of the character of the people is revealed in the graphic novel. So if you've only seen the movie, don't feel like you know the story because there's so much more to it. 
I, I mean, it's just a it's just a wonderful, wonderful graphic novel that well worth anyone's time. And even if if you you know if you're like Leah and you've never read a, a graphic novel before or a comic book before this, this, this is one to check out. Uh, even if you know you can't stand superheroes and you've never seen the Marvel movies or anything like that, pick up Persepolis. I mean, I think it could really move you. I will say it set my expectations for pacing very differently than they are in comic books in that, <laughs> you know, a lot more time and plot is covered in fewer pages here, which I sometimes find frustrating when I, especially if I'm looking at an issue or a small collection and you know, relatively little is resolved. And here we have kind of specific arcs being told in often just um, 10 pages, you know, a particular story of, a raid at a party or the beginning of the bombings of the Iran-Iraq war. Mm. And Satrapi's eye is always you know, so focused on the quotidian lives of people there, right? So, you know, in the middle of a war, um, you know, it's that people are having a party and then they're disrupted because um, of the bombings and they have to go to the basement. But that, that kind of is a space in which she spends a lot of her life that we don't think of as existing where her family is under assault externally from Iraqi bombs, internally in the country where they've raided by Revolutionary Guard checking for alcohol. And at the same time, what happens frequently is dancing and alcohol and card playing. And their blackout curtains do double duty to hide them from bombs and from their neighbors. She, she is rather economical with her, her storytelling. And, and, and the art, too. The art, the, it's, it's, it's very simply rendered. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but not you know, it, but not simplistic. Like it doesn't feel no. like it's just like chicken scratch or something. Like she's you know, not at all. I mean, it's 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 you know, as I said, economical. But these characters leap off the pages as three dimensional people, even if they're drawn in you know a classic kind of black and white cartoonish style. Um, well, and uh, I'm very grateful reading it, you know, of the way she draws women, uh, where we can see kind of, especially in the animated media, the way that women's features and expressions and emotions are flattened to make them pretty. And Satrapi, you know, has a real eye for character in her art. You know, the art is all black and white, not even shading. And, you know, still, it's easy to recognize people, easy to read their expressions. And she just is willing to draw a range of, especially, again, women's bodies and looks without forcing them to fit a certain standard of prettiness. Um, and it makes them clearer to read as characters. Yeah. And she's kind of, you know, particularly, you can see kind of the wit in how she draws herself when she goes through her punk spiked hair phase in uh, outside the country. And you can see kind of in the way she draws it, both, you know, how she must have looked to herself, but also that little bit of perspective of how she realizes she looks looking back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a the there's... same oh, go when ahead. she started to develop as well and then she commented on her nose and her unibrow <laughs> and all of that right oh it's a great sequence yeah it's just a series of panels over one page as you know she goes through whatever and goes through at puberty which is that different parts of her body seem to grow at a pace that has nothing to do with any other part of her body right well and there's also that great uh, that great scene later on where um she talks about when she's in art school and uh, trying to figure out how to do, you know, how to paint and draw people and they, you know, they can't have like nude models. And so they'll have this woman in this, like, in the chador. yeah, like, and <laughs> yeah. She, said they, she said, we learned how to draw curtains. 
But then there's <laughs> there's that one like there's a great panel on one of those pages where she says that that uh, women learn to to look at each other and actually you could you could start to you could start to have a sense of what people looked like even under their uh, veil um mm-hmm. after a while and so there's that great there's that great page where it's like they, sh- they where she shows that she shows like the outline of the veil and then she shows what they what they look like underneath all of this being i think uh indicative of what father matt was saying before that this this is a great book for for showing us what comics can do and why it's a why it's a, a great medium uh because these are things that i don't think you could pull off the same way in any other um in any other medium but that let's talk uh, a little bit about her depiction of god because mm-hmm. i found this to be very interesting and um and happens very fast like it's you know she doesn't waste any time getting to and god is like a character in this book oh absolutely she really has a sense of the dialogue she had in prayer as a small child mm-hmm. and she has that great drawings of god you know as a man with a beard who she says was less curly haired than Mark's when she then uh, starts reading herself a comic book on dialectical materialism. Right. <laughs> like you do. <laughs> but I think one thing that's really striking in the art is you can see in the way she draws herself with God um, the sense in which like God is a place for her to be at rest. Uh, seeing him as the bestower of peace as she shows herself cradled in his arms repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very intimate depiction of what prayer is. Yeah, yeah, he he's very gentle throughout the her her childhood. A grandfatherly type figure. She says she she pictured him looking like Marx. Mm-hmm. But um my understanding of what Marx might be like is much more stern. <laughs> you know, um I mean he's he's so gentle um and grandfatherly or fatherly. Um, the sense of intimacy with God is is really powerful. And she even says in the in, in the graphic novel, she says, I was born with religion. Mm-hmm. I was born with religion, even though her family is is pretty secular, really. Uh, her parents, one doesn't get the impression that they practice uh, any any faith or that they spend much time talking about religion in the home, except as it relates to the world around them. But she, nevertheless, has this deeply personal relationship with God, so much that that um, she uh, she describes herself as, as as a child as being convinced that she was a prophet, you know, and that she had this great calling to be a prophet, the last prophet. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that section. And one of the things I love about it is, you know, when she talks about why she thinks she'll be a prophet, uh, it. That's her response to what we talk about as the problem of evil, where she says, I wanted to be a prophet because our maid did not eat with us, because my father had a Cadillac, and above all, because my grandmother's knees always ached. Mm. And that her idea of like what a prophet does, you know, she says she thinks about Zarathustra, who is a lawgiver, and she thinks her role as a prophet is that she's seen these things are wrong, and she'll go tell everyone they can't continue, and then they'll be fixed. Yeah, this is this is probably the uh, highest profile uh, reference to Zoroastrianism that exists in popular <laughs> culture. It's great to have that up front because uh, here this is before the the revolution that takes place, the Cultural Revolution, um, 
and you get a sense more of, I mean, you know, she talks about Marxism and she's reading a comic book about dialectical materialism. But then she also just throws in that kind of casual reference to Zoroastrianism of, of like maybe some of the more cultural diversity, the rich ideas that were out there and that she was exposed to beforehand. And that, uh, you know, later, later is it, not so prevalent. Although Zoroastrianism is quite prevalent in Persian culture. I mean, that's yeah. where it began, oh, right? right? So yeah, that's yeah. like uh, probably as uh, native to her environment as like hearing about George Washington is to ours. <laughs> yeah, if anywhere Zoroastrianism is big, it's Iran. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the birthplace, right? I found it interesting um, to just kind of to go back for a second to the the whole uh, discussion of the depiction of the female form and all that kind of stuff. I found it interesting, um, you know, there's this this large contrast over the course of the story between her experiences in Iran, her experiences in Europe. Uh, and then going back to Iran and, and having this like reverse culture shock of uh, reintegrating into uh, a society that had kind of continued down the path. Um, and she does show, especially I think in that second, uh, you know, that second part where she's back in Iran, she she does a good job, I think, of pointing out the ways in which the the regime's obsession with the body and with sexuality is is hypocritical is the opposite of what it is that they're claiming it is so you know there's this just a one great scene where she's running in her veil right she's running to catch the bus because she's late and they shout her down and stop her and tell her that she can't run because you know she stop stop running because uh her running is attracting attention uh from men who might like see her butt and 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 she just like <laughs> stops and yells at them like and stop staring at it you know <laughs> what is wrong with you people and so there's that um but there's an interesting contrast i think to be had between and I don't know that she really explores this that much, but there's an interesting contrast to be had between that and the counter depiction or the different dep- or the opposite depiction. I don't even know what to, what to call it, but the way in which sort of Western secular culture views women and women's bodies. And some of that is, I think, uh, shown in her experiences in Vienna uh, and uh, the idea of, you know the 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 one uh, girl she knows who is uh telling her about all the men she slept with and how liberating that is and then her own like sort of confusion about what to do with that and all this kind of stuff and uh-huh. you know it made me think of um so when i was when i was a, a teenager i worked for um this iranian family um who <laughs> who owned and ran this pizza place basically pizza and sub place um, and so I spent a lot of time with this, this, uh, this family and they were, um, they were Muslims. They weren't like super radical or anything like that, but they were Muslims, but they were mostly just like, 
you know, they'd been in America for 15 years or so. Their kids had been born in America and were bilingual. Um, and he had adjusted somewhat okay to American culture. He was still kind of trying to figure some of it out. But his wife really hated being in America. She absolutely hated it. And she would and she would complain about the way that she was treated as a woman in American culture and the way she was viewed. And that that and that ultimately actually was um part of what ended up leading to them eventually leaving and going back to Iran was how how, how bothered she was by the sort of attitudes towards women that she experienced in America, which is just, so that's always been something in the back of my head when I've seen or heard criticism of, of, and I'm, and and I, I think perfectly fair criticism of the way that, you know, some places and and especially the Iranian regime has been repressive in that regard. Um, And yet there's this like mirror image of it, if you like, or opposite image of it in the West um, where, you know, either, either we're racing to cover women up or we're racing to uncover them. And in either case, we're just, you know, reducing them to um, body parts and uh, men's uh, uh, fascinations and, and, uh, and a lack of sort of personhood and autonomy. Uh, yeah, I think there's something really interesting. So Trappy says um, when during her Vienna time, when she kind of falls in with that group of punkish kids who are fascinated by the idea of war and death, even though mm-hmm. you know they've experienced neither, and she describes you know how they're all using marijuana and she doesn't want to do that, but she doesn't know how to completely abstain and keep her friends. So she talks about you know puffing but not inhaling, sticking her fingers in her eyes to redden them so that she would pass as having used marijuana, and then she says. The harder I tried to assimilate, the more I had the feeling I was distancing myself from my culture, betraying my parents and my origins, that I was playing a game by somebody else's rules. I think that idea of, you know, part of the decadence of the West still being that demand to play by rules that ultimately don't make any sense, just like the Revolutionary Guards are, you know, comes through repeatedly as she feels that tension between what, you know, feels untrue about the West and what feels untrue about her government, that ultimately she wants to just be Iranian um, and that there are both external and internal pressures pushing against what a healthy Iranian life looks like. I get the impression from, from reading this that no matter where she grew up, you know, she grew up in Iran, she grew up in Georgia, she grew up in New York, and she grew up in France, that she would always kind of be pushing against the dominant ways of thinking that she's got to rebel she's she questions things and she pushes the boundaries she challenges things even when before the revolution she looked at her parents her parents are secular she's profoundly religious her parents you know have uh you know nice things they're they're wealthy they have maids they have they have cadillacs and she's she dives headfirst into like you know marxism Um, (laughs) She, she, you know, and, and, and in Iran, she wants to be a punk, you know, and, and, and then you see the, the pendulum kind of swing a bit and, and she becomes a bit less ostentatious uh, among, among her Western friends. 
over there, she sometimes is it's the conservative one. You know, she's not she's not inhaling uh, the marijuana or anything like that. But um, she she's got this contrarian spirit. She's always fair, even while she's critical, and she's empathic. You know, even when she has a villain. You know, you even I mean, even even the uh, the the member, the guardians of the revolution. And there's that whole scene where the, they descend on the family and they pull them over and they're like, have you been drinking? And they, they're, they're at the house. It's a very tense scene. And they're going to bust into the house and the, the her and the grandmother are sneaking off and, and, and they come up with this excuse, you know, oh, I, I, need, I need to take my insulin. And the guardian of the revolution is like, oh, you're diabetic, just like my mother. Mm-hmm. And suddenly he's not just a stooge. He's a, he's like an he's he's a very vivid guy, uh, and I think about that in relation to the way I mean just circle it back around again because I think there's more to talk about with her depiction of God. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's obviously fierce in her opposition to um, the kind of insanity that that overtook her country, and she's. She's she's equally pretty harsh with the 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 nuns that she stayed with. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they they don't escape her withering, uh, you know, satire either. But um, she 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 doesn't seem anti-religious, and she even though there's that scene, you know, she has this great you know relationship with God when she's little, in in her confusion over you know. The, the the situation with her uncle. She screams at God and tells him to get out. She kind of chases him away, and I think that's the last time God appears in the book. Oh, but no. it's not the last time prayer appears. And no. He, he does come back. He does yeah. come back in the oh, second okay. book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but there it is takes that a long of... time. There's a long interval between those mm-hmm. things. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and I mean, it's depicted, I mean, she, she shows, like, sort of her anger, but also God's kind of tenderness. You almost, you feel, you feel sorry for God, you know? <laughs> he's, he's reaching out to his little girl, he loves her, and she chases him away. I mean, especially since she's so little at that point, your heart just kind of breaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with, with most of what you're saying there. I mean, I think um, God is kind of always there in some ways in this story even even when he's not appearing on the page and i think she's very fair in her her criticism of religion you know because she she could very easily have just kind of gone to the other extreme and everything is bad and every religious person is bad but even like you know um like the guy who uh ends up letting her into college Mm -hmm. gives her the ideological exam and so forth and he's obviously like a very committed muslim which is not what she is um and yet she recognized his him as a true believer you know like very different from like the people who were just like um in it for something else like you know Mm -hmm. and so and so he was going to deal with her in a a way that was much more fair-minded uh, because he was a because he was a, a true believer. Well, and it's interesting that part of what he responds to in her is that she's not arguing atheism when she argues with him, but she is right. arguing a different understanding of God, right. and he's 
you know, moved by the fact that she's honest, uh, which most of the folks taking the ideological test are not. They're parroting back. So you, you get the sense that he sees in her a genuine faith and love of God that he thinks is an error. And he tells her that, you know, he thinks to, to fully love God and respect him, she does need to change the things she does. But, you know, that love he still sees as present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. You, you sort of wonder um, if, uh, if this, if those sort of encounters would be the same um, if she had, lived at a different time period or, you know, um, uh, had a different kind of experience. Like, I actually feel like um, a book like this, well, it's hard It's hard to imagine because I don't know what it's like to live in Iran today. <laughs> um, but um, I, I feel like a, a kind of memoir of that time period that was written by somebody in this country um, might have included religion. Um, oh, for sure. And yeah. a memoir written uh, 10 to 15 years later either might have been more harsh on religion or might not have included religion at all. You know, mm. that like it would have been strange if it included religion at all. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Well, well, what I mean. What about that particular time? Where I mean, so we're talking about the the setting of the late seventies through the eighties and nineties. Yes. She goes. What, what, she goes through a very eighties arc uh, in which <laughs> she, you know, she becomes a drug addict and then immediately becomes a, an aerobics instructor. And yeah. I feel like that's probably what happened she, to most people in the eighties. She becomes a drug addict and then <laughs> suicidal and then is providentially saved, which she talks about that you know when she goes to her doctor after a suicide attempt. He tells her he doesn't really understand how she could possibly be alive after what she took. And it's that moment. It's actually a very Gloucester-like moment from King Lear. You know, the implausibility of her survival is enough to convince her that she's supposed to be alive. Um, And it's not that she has a huge breakthrough with her depression at that point, but suicide is from that miraculous moment on off the table. And then she becomes an aerobics and then she instructor. Becomes an aerobics instructor. That's interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. And he's is he the one or is it or is it one of her psychiatrists? Somebody who says I'm not a believer, but the only thing I can accord this to that's is the, divine. That's the doctor after yeah, the suicide attempt. Yeah. Intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, there is this sense in her. I mean, I mean. Uh, articulated most profoundly when she was little. She's like, I'm, I'm a prophet. Um, but there, her life has a purpose, and she has a role to play, you know, in, in, in the the destiny of her people. <laughs> you know, just to, to some reason. I mean, she, uh, she, she is a voice that's always challenging uh, the way things are. The other thing she always is, and it's part of what gives the the empathy for other people of this, is that she's always an extremist, you know, from when she's little, which all children are extremists, uh, but she kind of hangs <laughs> on to it longer. You know, when she's religious, she's a prophet. When you know, she's on the side of the revolution, she puts nails between her fingers and recruits her friends to go beat up another kid whose yeah. dad was a torturer, and her mom luckily intercepts her, right? Uh, but everything she does, she just does... 100% and she lives in a world where the adults also are kind of both figuring out what the new rules are and figuring out 
you know, what, how you can live your beliefs. Um, but a lot of people in her life are in their own ways mirroring or teaching her this kind of tendency towards extremism, you know, including just the, the communist arguments that are happening in her family's house constantly. Mm-hmm. So she, she comes by it honestly. I think it gives her a real kinship with the excesses of the revolution, you know, even as she strongly disapproves of them. You can see exactly how a different Marjane Satrapi would have become one of the women who polices other women's veils. Mm. From that zealousness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she even throws herself into, like, um, you know, it's funny because in in Iran at that time, you know, here here, here you have, like, all the things that we associate with, like, Western kind of, like, shallowness, uh, television, popular culture, posters and stuff. I mean, it's, it, it's almost, it has like an urgency in her life that, uh, that feels almost like if she's doing something revolutionary when she like lays on, on her couch and watches TV all day, you know? And she, she gets so sucked into that that her dad has to kind of come around and be like, you know, enough TV, Margie. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, everything she does, she, I mean, you know, the, 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 uh, the aerobics instructor thing is, is also, you know, instructive. Um, because, you know, here, here she is, okay, I'm not going to be, you know, like a sullen, uh, you know, anarchist anymore. I'm going to be like a normal gal, you know, and, and I'm going to become an aerobics instructor. And she is like, the perm and like the makeup you know she just goes you know totally in the other direction i think also we point out about the smallness of rebellions or when all culture is rebellion she kind of points to both the 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 pluses and minuses of that right in that you know there really are ways for people to resist even in small ways she talked about the different ways of wearing the veil so that you let like a couple hairs show and this kind of signals to other people that you're progressive but she also talks about how, you know, the more people focus on these small acts of rebellion, oh, you know, taking the chance of wearing nail polish as your act of dissent, you know, the less she feels like ultimately there's focus on freeing political prisoners or larger structural change, that you get this frisson of not going along without much structural impact. Anyway, you know, I think that really resonates for me, kind of seeing uh, the certain kinds of performative wokeness or just, you know, retweeting as support. When people get, again, that sense of, oh, I'm really part of the hashtag resistance now without doing very much. And, you know, Satrapi sees that very clearly as both a temptation and a bad one to kind of channel your dissent solely through personal expression. I I mean, just just the level of courage that it takes to do some of these things. Like, would you wear a denim jacket with, with, like, punk rock slogans, like, in Iran? Like, knowing that, like, there are people patrolling the streets and that you could be whisked away and, like, you know, flogged, it takes it takes that to a whole other level. I mean, you know, when I was a teenager, I had a denim jacket that I sewed all kinds of hippie patches all over. But, like, you know, it was just fun. You know, it wasn't like there was no chance that I was going to be flogged for my keep on trucking patch on my denim jacket. You know? <laughs> your, your life wasn't at stake in Philadelphia? No, no, I mean, 
it's like it's actual it's like you know that kind of teenage rebellion that we see you know i mean in this context it's like it's real rebellion i mean it's like sedition you know to to blast iron maiden in your bedroom i mean you're really a rebel like truly mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you know one of the also that she says she really kind of makes the point that the more that people crack down on things the more you can fear that anything will lead to your being arrested and whipped kind of almost the more reason she takes for courage in that that if you're if you always are in danger from the government you might as well live your life right mm. well and yeah. in some ways in some ways it becomes a sham too right like you know they, it's all oh, we have parties and then the parties get broken up and then uh we pay the government a certain amount of money to let us out of it and then we do the same thing again the next week so there's like um, there's some ways in which they're all kind of playing a cat and mouse game with each other, um, even in the midst of this. Um, Iran is just, it's a fascinating place um, because when you think about sort of like repressive regimes uh, around the world, it's very different from like, for instance, like a North Korea where you where people are basically cut off entirely from the world and and there's there's not really like any sort of like experience of that stuff and particularly at the at the time that um that Marjane Satrapi is is writing about these are folks who um had lived in a sort of cosmopolitan experience prior to um the fall of the Shah in some ways you know um and and she even I forget which character it is. Um, maybe it's her grandmother. I don't know who it was, but somebody who was talking about, or her mother, but somebody who was talking about the difference between how people would look at an Iranian passport, you know, prior to, to that time. And like, now they look at you and, oh, you're from a third world country. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, <clears throat> it's this sort of place that I think still, even today in some ways, like has a lot of, you know, like, it's not like the whole country is just, like, um, extremists or, or what have you. But they, they, there's this, this, this kind of dual experience that she points to of we're we all one way in public and we're all a total diff- totally different way, you know, behind the doors. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes, it makes you wonder about places like North Korea. Mm-hmm. Lord willing, someday we'll get the great... A memoir, a graphic novel of, of someone, you know, surviving North Korea, you know, after after the walls come down, you know, and, and maybe they'll tell the story about, you know, what it was like growing up and, 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 and you know, and we'll find a lot more similarities there. Um, what's frightening to me is just like, you know, here you have these people, like you said, they live this cosmopolitan lifestyle and, and then like almost overnight, everything's different mm-hmm. you know and, and and you always think well that's iran i mean could could something like that happen here i i, I don't know i mean it it, it I mean, never say never you you wonder though right i mean what would uh you know life life could change you know the wrong kind of people come into power or whatever uh you know what what kind of cultural revolution could turn our our uh our all our our lives upside down in a moment it could, it could um, happen. Sobering. Yeah, I mean, it could happen here, but I think, you know, it would be different if it happened here. I mean, I think part of what what's Without happening there is you, you also have just this long history 
of the experience of, of these folks um, being conquered and then conquered again, and the you know sort of dis discussion of um, uh, the, uh, the Arabs at one point, and then you know uh, the experience of the Shah and the Shah's father, and so on and so forth. Um, and and there's you know intermingled with this is this also this long history of like that that looks back to the Persian Empire and to all these kinds of things too. So. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think in this country, it's hard to imagine what that looks like because we don't really have that sense of ourselves as a nation. You know, like our, our, our existence is only a couple of hundred years old and is, is very much rooted in um, our sense of ourselves as a, uh, a democratic society. So I don't know. And what we that don't like. we don't have the sense of ourselves as an occupied nation either, where yeah. she talks about both the Arab invasions and colonialism and the rule of the Shah himself. Mm -hmm. That this real sense of you know a Persian identity suppressed that you know finally gets the chance to break forth, and then there's real disagreement on what it's been all this time, as you know suddenly the world's in flux and they can redefine who they are, and it really brings to the fore they don't all agree on what that is. Well, it, it, it made me think of some other, I mean, just in, in comic books. I, I found myself uh, thinking from time to time about, like, V for Vendetta. You know, V for Vendetta was, was Alan Moore's kind of take on on what happens when totalitarianism takes over in Great Britain. You know, and, and just, you know, history itself. I mean, you know, there's... I, I, happened all over the place. I mean, you know, Iran is, is, I mean, it's very unique and it's very particular to Iran. Germany was, was a, a prosperous Western nation and, you know, and this kind of madness swept through and, um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's sobering in the way that those kind of dystopian, uh, stories that we read are, except this is history, which is, makes it doubly sobering. I mean, the other thing I, I thought about just, you know, growing up uh, in my neighborhood, there were people from all over the world. Uh, I mean, people from every nation or, uh, in, in, you know, country uh, that, that you could think of. A lot of them from the Middle East um, and a lot of them from countries. And, you know, what was, I, I got to know a lot of them, um, but like, you know, here you you see um, Margie's story, and you think, well, like, what what were the events that brought them across the sea to the United States to stay? You know, um, over and over again, um, you know, her father says, "Well, if I if I went to the United States or I went to France, you know, here I'm I'm a rich man. There I would be a taxi driver." Um, and you think, you know, who are they? who are these folks? You know, when you're when you're riding a taxi with somebody, who were this? Who were these folks? Be, you know, in in their own nation before they came here, and and you know, what kind of trauma and what sorts of you know experiences have they overcome? You know, uh, to to be here, and um, you know, art art kind of makes the world smaller like that, doesn't it? Um, it, it, it shrinks things down and, and, and allows us to, to walk in somebody else's shoes. Well, uh, we could uh, 
we could go on and on and on about this. There's there's so much depth uh, and and so much to, to look at here. If you haven't read Persepolis, um, we've just spoiled a lot of it for you. But <laughs> it's, not, it's not a book that you know is vulnerable yes, to spoilers. Yes, no, it's it's, it's no, still it's it is still that. worth. It's okay uh, if you know about the Iranian up. revolution right. going in. <laughs> Spoiler: There's a big war with Iraq. Um, but uh, uh, you know, do do check the the book out because it's definitely worth your time. Uh, and if you have some thoughts about Persepolis, come on and share them with us through social media, um, and uh, that can be your own little your own little mini revolution. Uh, so uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com/godandcomics, or you can tweet at us at God and Comics, uh, and we look forward to hearing from you, uh, from you there. But for now, we're going to move on to our final segment: this or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man? This or that. Spider-Man or Superman? This or that. Boxes or briefs? This or that. DVD or VHS? This or that. Dungeons or Dragons? This and that. Moses or Elijah? This or that. This or that. This or that. Come on, everybody, let's this or that. Huh? Good. So, this is, uh, actually, I guess technically this is Leah's fourth time on God in Comics, but it's her third time on a full-length episode and so in keeping with tradition we're big on tradition here uh she is going to actually uh be the game master the uh, i don't know what do we call this the head uh, honcho the um the supreme potato i don't know what what if <laughs> um the this or that or uh, du jour, um, I've got nothing. Go, go ahead, Leah. <laughs> All right, other Kyle for fifteen points. Which is the better Wonder Woman origin? That she is the daughter of Zeus, or that she was sculpted from clay? There is a right answer to this question. Just so you know. Is there really? As far as I'm concerned, there is. All right, what what is your answer? Oh, no, I want to hear Father Kyle's answer first. I know, I'm yeah, waiting for Father Kyle's answer. Yeah. I'm going to go with the sculpted from clay. I like that origin better. I think that was the original one anyway, wasn't it? That yeah. is yes. correct. That That's is the, the correct I... answer. All right. Yes. Uh, Father Jonathan, for funerals, mm -hmm. white vestments or black vestments? Ooh. So, and this is for uh, 40 points. Ooh. Well, <laughs> um, interesting. So I haven't, um, as a Catholic priest, I have yet to do a funeral. Um, as an Episcopal really? priest. Yeah. No, well, you know, I mean, I'm a high school Catholics chaplain. Catholics don't so die. It, it, oh, of course. Well, <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really come up. High school up, chaplain, you know? good. Um, yeah. But uh, 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 I did a lot of them as an Episcopalian, um, and I, I did white. Uh, because I was told to do white, I think there. I don't know that we had a really another option. Um, I am afraid that is incorrect. That I, that I was not finished. Oh, all right. Well, I've given away the answer now. But <laughs> as a Catholic priest, and particularly in the ordinariate, see this, they get the you, you get frowned at for doing this in in some places. But in the ordinariate. Uh, black vestments okay for funerals and it just so happens I have a wonderful black set 
So oh, that's I, excellent. I would want to I would want to use the black set. I just used the black set on Good Friday, which was really cool. So Father Matt. For thirty points, Ronin the Accuser or Ronin the Hawkeye persona. The the uh, well, you know the the Hawkeye persona was pretty cool. <laughs> That's going to be a no for me. <laughs> Hawkeye understanding he's become a murderous vigilante is worse than Ronin understanding himself to be a pure Javert-like figure. <laughs> so okay, so so that was a a a, a, fig, uh, a reference to uh, to something, wasn't it? <laughs> that uh, that I'm I'm missing in in the end game uh, movie. He he! Well, all of a sudden, there was like clearly this guy who was like a big star in Japan or something, right? Yeah. So Hawkeye takes on the persona of Ronin when he's murdering his way through the world. So um, who, who's Ronin? Spoiler, everybody! Spoiler. Ronin the Accuser <laughs> is uh, from Captain Marvel movie. Ronin the Accuser is from the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's from the Guardians also. of the Galaxy. Oh, yes. yeah, that's that's his first appearance. Is... Oh, okay. he might have had he's a... played he's played by Lee Pace, a talented actor. He was in Captain Marvel they, briefly, yeah. They waste his eyebrows sadly with their choice of makeup and and hat. Okay, okay, that that guy. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> he's got a hammer, kinda like the Yeah, one. yeah, oh yeah, big guy. Okay, with the hammer. Okay. Alright, we've had two correct answers, so I'll just do one less this or that, and it's going to be a battle uh between battle. Father Kyle and Father Jonathan. Oh, Okay. So you both must give your best answer to which would make the better Batman reboot. Batman, played by Sylvester Stallone, or Batman is Amnesiac Matches Malone. <laughs> Wait, so who would play him in the Matches Malone version? It's, yeah. it's unspecified who plays him if he's Matches Malone for most of the movie. Could it? Could we put those own, together? You know, could it be Sylvester Stallone as Matches Malone? See, yes, I think as, you have to go with Sylvester Stallone as, as Matches Batman. Malone. He just well, you know that fusion answer is so good that I'm going to give the win to both of you. Then nice, thank nice. you, nice. There it is. I think the important thing about all of this is that Father Matt lost. I think that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> that's our takeaway. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you oh. the, you know you did a, a great job there with the this or that. Um, well, I, I'll I'll admit that Alexi came up with the Ronin versus Ronin question. Oh, good. Well, that <laughs> good. that can uh, that can redeem him for the the one that he did. And I I forget what the what the back and forth was, but there was one that he asked us. It was like two different TV shows, I think, and uh, and he hadn't seen either one of them. So we said we said what's the right answer, and he said I don't know. <laughs> So go back, go back, kids, go back to the archives and re-listen to that to that show. Um, so anyway, well, Leah, it's been wonderful having you on the program. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Anything else you want to plug? You already mentioned your books. We'll put links to those up on our site. Well, I'd say also just keep an eye out for Alexi Sargent's uh, Nuns versus Evil role-playing game, Autumn Triduum, set over All Hallows' Eve all saints day and all souls day it's a lot of fun i've played it and gm'd it myself and you know one day it will be published but you can play it at gen con nice 
Nice. When and I, I recommend um, if you you're gonna GM that you should call yourself uh, Top Potato because I think that's clearly the best term that I've come up with tonight. Um, so okay. Well, uh, thank you for being with us, and thank all of you out there in listener land for being a part of the show. If you'd like to uh, listen again, you can go to our website at godandcomics.com. You'll see a couple of uh, fun links there as well. Um, we are subscribable through iTunes, and while you're on iTunes, if you would give us a rating or a review, we would be very thankful for that. It helps other people to find uh, to find the program. Um, our our theme music, which you are hopefully banging your head to uh, right this moment, is by Father Paul Wheatley, who would like to formally announce tonight that he is running for president on the platform of Free Hugs. Until next time, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Matthew Strummer. I'm Father Kyle Thomas.